Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. Today we commence a new series of studies on the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. This amazing book is the first book of the Bible and the base upon which all the following scriptures rest. Genesis is one of the most quoted or referred to books in the rest of the scriptures. But most importantly, Genesis is about Jesus. Jesus as our creator, Jesus our sustainer, and Jesus our redeemer. Today we're going to be focusing on the creation of all things in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. So have your Bibles ready as we embark on this remarkable study. On our panel today, we have Alan Sonta and Lena Yun. Welcome. Thank How are you. you? Before we discuss our, our lesson topic today, let's bow for prayer. Gracious Father, as we read the Bible and discuss Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we ask please for the Holy Spirit to give us and our viewers wisdom and understanding on the important topic of the creation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Genesis is the first book of the Bible and is written in the Hebrew language. But its name is derived from the Greek word Genesis, which means beginnings. And when we read the first verse, it's very powerful. If I read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Now, Alan, why would the Bible start this way, do you think? Well, the, that statement is probably the most profound statement in the Bible because it tells us who was involved in the beginning of this earth. Satan's tried all through the ages to get people to believe that there is no God and there's no beginning. But this statement tells us that there is a beginning and there is a God. We are not alone. There's a God who is there. He loves us. He created us. And therefore, uh, it's, it's a very profound statement. Also, if we turn to John, the book of John, chapter 1 and verse 3, we find another amazing thing. And that is, I'll read it. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. The hymn here refers to the word, which is Jesus. Therefore, not only do we have Jesus as our redeemer from the New Testament, but we have him as our creator from the Old Testament. Mm, powerful, very powerful. And Lena, we see in chapter one of Genesis, we see the phrase, it was good, used several times. What was good? Um. Genesis 1 describes God creating everything in six days. So he first created the spaces and, and fill um, the spaces and, and the life to fill those spaces. So uh, in day one, uh, he created light and dark and God proclaimed that that was good. In day two, the atmosphere. In day three, the land and seas, vegetation. In day four, um, the sun, moon and the stars. And God proclaimed that and they were good as well. And in day five, 
the sea and the bird life. And, um, and we read uh, Genesis uh, 1.31. And uh, before I actually do that, and actually God created on uh, day six um, the land animals, and God also proclaimed that that was really good. And now I'm going to read uh, Genesis 1.31. And, um, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening, evening and the morning were the sixth day. And so basically, after creating humans, and at the end of the sixth day, actually God proclaimed that all his creation was not just good, but it was very good. Which is quite a distinction. Now, it was good. That's translated in English, it was good. Alan, what's the meaning of that phrase from the original? Well, the Hebrew word for good is tob, T-O-B, tob. And it has two aspects to its meaning. One refers to the fact that something is good for what it is intended to be used for. Another, it's a utilitarian kind of meaning. But the other is an interesting one. It means beautiful. For example, if you turn to Genesis chapter to, uh, 24 and verse 16, you get a description of the young lady that, uh, that became the wife of Isaac, Rebecca. And in verse 16, we read, Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold. The word used there is the word tob. So you have the idea of usefulness, utility, effectiveness plus beauty. And so the, uh, what we are really told in, in this verse is that what God made was not only fit for purpose, worked well, very effective, but it was also beautiful. And that's why he says it was very good. And look, we get a sense of that even today when we go out in nature, we, we look at the creation, you know, nature, we see um, plants, we see flowers, we see birds. They're beautiful for us today. Lena, when we read chapter one, um, with all this creation taking place, what is the overall impression you get about, about God? Uh, basically, in Genesis chapter one, um, the chapter one speaks of the supremacy of God. So basically, we get the impression of God's supremacy, sovereignty, power, preeminence, and the strength. Um, so basically Genesis 1 presents God as infinitely far from humans. Um, basically means uh, the transcendent God. And the word uh, for God in Hebrew is Elohim. It occurs in 26 of the 31 by verses and uh, is a plural form of the Hebrew word for God. And, um, and we learned from the Bible that the, the plural form of God describes uh, the triune Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so again, it gives us that impression that this majestic being has created everything. Now, creation uh, is, can be controversial today. Alan, what's the prevailing worldview of our beginnings? I would say that... Uh not everyone, but almost everyone who goes to a university is taught evolution. And uh, the theory of evolution, which is treated as all, almost as though it's not just a theory, but fact, 
is that life began with a big bang eons ago and that over the millennium or the millions of years that have that have gone on there's been a gradual uh, change and additions of information to the DNA through mutations and so on until we have life as we see it today. Now I'm amazed that any intelligent people believe that because it flies in the face of every known law of physics. For example, you've got the law of entropy, which says that as time goes on, things run down. Mm. But evolution says as time goes on, things improve. Doesn't, it does not fit what we see in the world today. And so um, we, we find that uh, if, if we look at what the Bible says, we get absolutely the opposite approach because evolution says things gradually improve. The Bible says God created at the beginning and it was good. It was perfect. But since sin has come in, we find that things are running down mm. so that the problems we see in the world today, disease, ill health, all the problems that occur, they are the result of sin and they are, are, are running down according to what we see around us, not an improvement according to what evolution says should be happening. Now, Lena, Alan just mentioned long ages and some Christians today try to incorporate long ages of uh, beginnings into their Christianity and uh, certainly into, into the theory, into creation. Yeah. Why is it uh, impossible to do that and how does that undermine the Christian uh, belief, the Christian view? Firstly, the Bible teaches the duration of each creation account in terms of time. The Bible says there was evening and morning. It's literally in Hebrew, there is sunset and sunrise, meaning a 24-hour time period. So life, we cannot squeeze millions of years into each day. Life cannot exist if we have millions of years of darkness and then millions of years of light. Secondly, the Bible teaches that in the beginning, everything was perfect without sin and death. And sin entered and death followed. And Jesus came and redeemed the human, uh, you know, mankind from sin and death. And also the book of Revelation talks about how everything will be restored back to its perfection. But evolution teaches that generations of life and death over eons of time, as Ellen mentioned, and from the beginning of the commencement of the first cell. Um, so apparently death is not the result of sin, which completely el eliminates uh, the need of savior. So Jesus said Christ is not needed. If Jesus Christ is not needed, the Bible collapses. It's utterly you know, incompatible with scripture. Yeah, that's a very good point because a lot of people try to do that. They try to have a foot in both both camps. They want to sort of be friendly with the worldview and they want to be friendly with the Bible. And they try and squeeze things in. Now, after six days of creation, and after the sixth day when it was very good, we move on to chapter two. And in chapter two, we have what happens on the seventh day. Describe that to us, Alan. Well, as you've just said, in the first few verses of chapter two, we see the answer to that question. 
So I'll read it to you. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So we find that uh, God started on the first day and he worked for six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And that marked out the first week. It's interesting to note that uh, we have our time periods, which are based on celestial and terrestrial things. But the week is different. Mm. The, the year, for example, is uh, based on the length of time it takes for the Earth to circle the sun. The, moon, the month is based on one cycle of the moon around the Earth. And the day is based on one rotation of the Earth, 24 hours. But the week, that started with creation. Yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. To have uh, that time frame going right back to creation. Mm. As we go through the Bible, the seventh day is linked to the Sabbath day. Mm. Uh, it's referred to the Sabbath day. Lena, when does the Sabbath uh, day as a name get first mentioned in the Bible? Um, it was, okay, I'm going to read Exodus 16, 4 and 5. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Basically, um, you know, it was first mentioned in Exodus 16, 4, 5 that we have just read. So when the Israelites had just left uh, Egypt and were in the wilderness and without food, and God gives them bread from heaven called manna, and they were together a double portion of the sixth day and did not have to gather and could rest on the seventh day. So this is uh, one of the incidents where, uh, incidents that verifies that um, the Seventh-day Sabbath was in existence before the uh, Ten Commandments were formally given at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. God gave a real-life example every single day and every sixth day yeah. for the Hebrews. Alan, the Sabbath is enshrined in the Ten Commandments. Um, explain to us that link with creation in the, in, the tenth, in the Ten Commandments to the Sabbath. Yes, the Fourth Commandment reads this way, and I'm reading from Exodus chapter 20 and verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, nor you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So this tells us uh, what the command is, not to work. But the next verse tells us the connection. For in six days the Lord made the heaven 
and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So that commandment has a direct connection with creation because it tells us that the reason God wants us not to work on the Sabbath is because when he made the earth, he worked for six days and he rested the seventh day. And he's telling us, you do the same thing. You've got six days to work, but the seventh day you have to rest. By doing that, you acknowledge God as your creator. And that's what's important about keeping the Sabbath. It's a blessed day. It's a sanctified day, but it's also a day that acknowledges our relationship to our creator. Yeah, and, and that remember is to remember, yes, to remember the seventh day, but also remember to keep it holy. Mm. It's important too. Yeah. Now, Lena, in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. The book of Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. He repeats the Ten Commandments and he changes the fourth commandment slightly. Explain to us that change. Yeah, sure. So we're going to read uh, Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 12 and 15. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it, as the Lord thy God has commanded thee. 15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God uh, brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep that Sabbath day. So basically, instead of giving the creation account as the reason for keeping the Sabbath, as in Exodus 20, Moses uh, says, God delivered the Israelites uh, from bondage as being the reason for keeping the Sabbath. So Jesus, the creator, not only a creator, but our redeemer. So basically deliverance from Egypt included it, uh, the Israelites and also a mixed multitude of other, of other people as well. So I'm going to read Mark 2, 27. Um, so here it says, and is, uh, he said unto them that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Basically, Sabbath is for all mankind, not just for the Jews only, as some erroneously claim. Mm, yeah, that's yeah. a very good point to bring out. Alan, when we go back to Genesis uh, chapter 1 to 5, uh, uh, verses 1 to 25, we see the creation of um, everything except man. Just could you comment, please, on any differences how God created the, the rest of the creation with how he created man? Yes. For the other creatures, uh, God just makes the general statement, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind, which you've just read about. Uh, we're not told how many cre uh, of those animals God created. We're not told whether he made one of each kind or mm. a number of each kind. But when it comes to the creation of man, we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The record makes it very clear that man was a special part of God's creation. Because if you make a record of something, and the parts that you emphasize, they're the important parts. And therefore, because God in his record makes it so clear 
that the creation of man was a special thing that he did, mm. that gives us to understand that in God's thinking, man was a special part of cre his creation. It wasn't, all the others were good and important, but when he, after he finished making man, he said it was very good. Mm. Yeah. And Lena, would you like to comment, um, how was Eve different? How was her creation different yeah. again? Sure. Uh, so we're going to read Genesis 2, 21 to 23. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead of thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So basically Eve was made from the already created um, man, a rib from Adam. And so that signified she was to have equal status with Adam. So Adam was given a role to have dominion over every created um, being. And also he was able to have face-to-face -face communication directly with God. And Eve was assigned the role to become Adam's lifelong closest companion. Um, so basically, um, the manner in which um, Eve was made from Adam and given to uh, him um, to become his wife uh, signified marriage. So hence, we can say that the first marriage was at creation. Okay, that is, that is the difference. Um, Alan, in verse 26, let us make man in our image. What is this all about? What is this image and likeness? You'll notice that I'll read the, verse, the verses for you, verse 20, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female, he created them. Now, it uses two words in verse 26. It says that God was to make man in our image, and that is the Hebrew word tselem, and in our likeness, which is the Hebrew word demut. Now, the word tselem means in the physical image of, like a physical concrete image whereas demut means like, and it has more to do with the mental and physical um, characteristics. And so here we are, we are told that man is made in God's image and likeness. He somehow is in God's physical image, and he somehow has the character or mental uh, characteristics that God has imparted to him like God. Yeah, we get um, attributes of God's character in the female and attributes of God's character in the male. Um, Genesis 2 has a different slant towards God. I'm going to ask you again, Lena, what's your overall impression of God after reading the account of creation in Genesis in chapter 2? Uh, basically, um, you know, Genesis 2, uh, 4 to 25, presents God not as a faraway, majestic, powerful, and awesome, but rather close and personal um, to mankind, so a God of relationship. 
So this twofold uh, view of God, who's both majestic and powerful, and yet so close and loving, I think that is really incredible. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, we have dual aspects of God. We do. It's interesting that you have that, uh, I guess, that dichotomy of views, yes. awesome majesty and close and personal. Yes. I want to read chapter 2 and verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Alan, this reads like um, God's made man to work. What do you think of that? Well, God gave him a home, a garden, and he had some, a certain responsibilities to dress it and keep it. And uh, God allowed for man's expanding family to use the resources that, are, that, are, that were in the garden. And uh, just as Adam was given the responsibility, so we are responsible for, for uh, the environment around us. We are responsible to, to sustain the environment, even though we live in a very different world with industrial things and so on. We still have a responsibility to maintain the environment. Mm, very important yeah. today. Mm. Lena, the earth was to con also was to con uh, have all the food supply for mm -hmm. Adam and Eve. Yeah. Um, what's your comment on that? Okay, um, so um, I'm going to read uh, Genesis 1:29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, in which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Basically, herb bearing seed means the whole plants. It was essentially the whole food plant based diet for both humans and also all other land um, animal and air creatures. It's interesting that God who created man so, uh, so intimately has given that as the diet. That's something to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Alan, um, in verses 16 and 17, it refers to this tree of knowledge of good and evil that um, Adam and Eve weren't supposed to eat. What was the purpose of that? What was the significance of that? Well, it was very significant because God wanted to give man a choice. And when God created man, he created him with free choice. He had the choice to obey God and not eat it or to disobey God. And uh, by disobeying God, he put himself in rebellion against God. And that's why uh, this, in this simple test, it wasn't a hard thing. If God had made a very difficult thing that Adam had to do, then he, he would have been, uh, you know, sort of justified. Satan would have said, oh, yes, yeah, too hard. It was a simple thing. Just had to do what God said. Don't eat that fruit. And there would have been many, many trees to choose from. Many. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have time for today. So thank you, Alan. Thank you, Lena. Thank you. The creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 tells us the origin of, of our world and all the life within it. But more importantly, it highlights the character of God, a mighty God of form, function, order and beauty. Yet also a God who wants a personal relationship with each one of us. He's no distant landlord, but a caring, loving God. We see this in the life of Jesus, our creator and our redeemer. God in the flesh, who walked the dusty streets of Israel, healing and forgiving, and then giving his life to pay for our sins so we can be part of the earth made new. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abinaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish on lgs 
at 3abinaustralia.org.au. Join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.